Why don't we turn to God's Word? I'm just going to read a few verses from Matthew 28. So this is going to be a little bit different to the other sessions. Just um, not, we're not looking at a particular text this evening and, and, and delving into it and then working out what it means to us. Um, Steve's asked me to, to talk specifically on the encouragements and challenges of national ministry. Um, so we're going to just think about that a little bit this evening and hopefully it will provoke some conversations uh, that we can continue at the fireside afterwards. So if you have questions at the back of this talk, um, and then write them down and hopefully we can discuss them further um, at the fireside afterwards. Let's just read a few verses that, that connect here. Matthew 28, famous verses, verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's just pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord, thank you for the words of that song we just sang. That in Christ alone our hope is found. If you hadn't come to us and rescued us, we don't know where we would be right now. We thank you that you have and that we have hope in Christ today. And for eternity. Help us this evening just in the quiet as we spend a bit more time thinking through your work in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you might speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, provoke us, help us to feel uncomfortable and to rest in the saving work of Christ. Come, O Spirit, we pray. Amen. So if you look at the New Testament, the first disciples, the first apostles, didn't just have uh, a local ministry. The first disciples, the first apostles had a national ministry. In fact, they had an international ministry as they travel around the Roman Empire sharing the gospel. They weren't content, content in sharing the gospel in just one place, but they went from town to town wherever they were welcome to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to the perishing And that carried on to the next generation. Some of the first local churches also had this national ministry seeking to support other churches and sending out their workers. You think of the church in Jerusalem at the beginning was a hub for many other church leaders to come and and have support. And they had a council in Acts 15 just to talk about how they should deal with uh, all the Jews becoming Christians and also the Gentiles becoming Christians as well. It wasn't just a big church in Jerusalem that had a ministry. You also had smaller churches. You see in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the, the work of Macedonia, who were a very small church, a very poor church, actually supporting the bigger church in Jerusalem, uh, having a bigger ministry than just their local surroundings. And if you look throughout history, church history, uh, you see time and again just special churches that are not just having a local ministry, but are having a national uh, and an international ministry. Think of uh, John Calvin, you don't know who he is, he's a reformer, 
about 500 years ago. He was in a place called Geneva. And uh, when he came in, the, the place was a mess. The church was a mess. Came in to preach the gospel. People got converted. Uh, and that little city uh, in Geneva became a little hub for pastors and planters from all over Europe to get trained and then sent out again. The reason the gospel uh, took root so deeply in Scotland was because a man called John Knox spent some time in Geneva with John Calvin before he went back and shared the gospel back in, 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 in Scotland and began to be an encouragement and a challenge to many other people. We've got churches today who think of... Um, if you haven't heard of them, Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., who do the same thing. Mark Devers, the pastor there, he's written a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And again, he doesn't just have a local ministry, but pastors from all over the world these days come to his church for weekenders, they call them, and they get training, um, and they get resourced, and they get sent out again. Uh, again, another church having international ministry. And if you throw into that mix, we have our little church in Edinburgh called Nidri Community Church, uh, who also now have a national and international ministry. And 14 years ago, you would not have believed that. 14 years ago, that church was about to shut its doors. There were six members left. They were fighting and squabbling, those six members. And they were about to shut the doors on that church in Nidri. But in God's grace, another church came alongside us, Charlotte Chapel. They sent some members across. Uh, they threw some money at the building, built a new building. We had a pastor put in place. Didn't quite work out, but the Mez came in. And now 15 years later, not only have we seen many converted in our community, but we have a hub now for church planting in Scotland and across the world. From a church that was about to die 15 years ago, about to shut its building, God has been so good to us and been so gracious to us as a little church. 81 members we have, many of them new converts, and we're involved in national and international ministry in some of the poorest areas in the world. And so what's been some of the encouragements that we found? What's some of been some of the challenges? Let me just give you some encouragements first. And then we'll look at some challenges as well. And hopefully this will help you think through some of the stuff as you guys uh, are, are thinking about through uh, Mile One Mission. The first thing that is an encouragement to me is, is our leaders. It's our leaders. Uh, we all know it's the Lord who gets the glory. It's the Lord who does the work. But he uses means, doesn't he? And he uses certain people in history for his glory. And in Nidri, you've met him already, Mez, or many of you have met him, Mez, has a unique gifting uh, and uh, a unique ministry. Some people I would call these days have an apostolic ministry. Have an apostolic ministry. And I mean that with a very small A. I'm talking about big A, we don't believe there's apostles today or all that kind of stuff. But there's some people who will not just influence their local church, but they'll have an international or national ministry. They'll have a, 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 a connection that's wider than just their influence, that's not just their local congregation. They have an apostolic ministry. Think of the Apostle Paul. He had a ministry that was bigger than just one church. It was many churches, wasn't he, as he planted 
across the Roman Empire. Well, Mez is one of those guys, and I believe Steve is one of those guys as well. Uh, and you've probably seen it in Steve. We see it in Mez, just men who want to push things forward. Men who want to take risks for the gospel. Men who always have new ideas flicking off in their heads. When they go on holiday, we always joke with Mez. He goes away for three weeks and he has a hundred ideas as he comes back from holiday. And he changes everything. And we all get a bit uncomfortable by it. Men who are always networking. Uh, I can't believe the amount of people that Steve knows. Uh, same with Mez. Pushing things to the limit. And we need to thank God for these kind of men. Because if we didn't have them, we would slip into a slumber. And we would get lazy and apathetic to the faith. As Christians, particularly in middle class kind of Christian culture, we can be very prone to do one thing, quo. So we want to keep, we want to keep the status quo. We don't like change, do we? <laughs> we do not like change. And what we can be prone to as, as Christians is to protect our little patch. We've got this far, you know what? We were unhealthy five years ago or whatever it was, 10 years, 15 years ago. We've fought to keep this church together. We fought to, to, to keep doctrine central. We fought to, to be united as a church. Let's not give that all away by making it some silly mistakes or, 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 or being risky. And so what we've become over the years as we get older in the Christian faith and we get older in just life, we get risk averse, don't we? We were going to go for it as a 20-year-old. Don't waste your life push everything forward, but by the time you're 60, we've had so many hurts along the road that we stop pushing things forward, don't we? Uh, we just want to keep things as they are. Here's what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to have gutsy, risky, prophetic, trusting, straining forward faith. And men like Steve and men like Mez can help us to keep pushing forward. Remember what the Apostle Paul says? I forget what lies behind me and I push forward to the goal of Christ Jesus. Yes, I've planted lots of churches. Yes, I'm writing lots of letters. Yes, I've seen lots of converts, but I forget that. <laughs> because I'm straining forward to a greater goal, the goal of Christ Jesus. I want to keep pushing forward to the end. I'm going to keep pushing forward for the glory of Christ. And that's been a, a, an encouragement. It's been a challenge for us as a church at Nidri, but it's been an encouragement to us as well because what it does, visionary faith, what it does is it keeps us on our toes. Keeps us on our toes and relying on Christ rather than just keeping the status quo and not stepping out in faith. So that's one encouragement. The second encouragement is this. It's an encouragement to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It's an encouragement to be part of something bigger than ourselves. You see, the Lord's not just interested in your little patch in Newfoundland. He's not just interested in, in, in your little church. He's not interested in our little kingdoms. He is building his kingdom across the world. And the gates of hell will not prevail. We're not just called to look after our own little patch. It's wider than that. It is wider than that. And it's been amazing at 20 Schemes to see people all 
over the world come to travel to Nidri to come and worship with us on a Sunday or, or, or come to a conference and see the work. A little, tiny little church. If you ever come and visit us, we're a tiny, crappy little church. I don't know if you can use that word over here, but rubbish little church uh, on the southeast of Edinburgh in a little housing project. And usually when tourists come over, Christian tourists come over, they're going to go to a big church. 800 members, singings off the charts, preachings off the charts. Here they're coming now to this little church, rubbish little church in the corner of Edinburgh. Well, rubbish little bands and the projector doesn't work half the time. The words don't change. I was feeling for Steve Dore on Friday night when the words weren't coming up. Uh, that's exactly what happens at our church. But people coming from all over the world to worship with us. And that's an encouragement to us. It's amazing to partner with churches across Scotland. It's amazing to partner with churches in Canada. And for you guys to partner with us in Scotland. You know, one of the best things about being in part of 20 Schemes is that we have uh, these different church plants across Scotland. And every month we gather as church planters and pastors. And it's amazing just to pray with each other for a couple of hours. That's all we do. Nothing sexy. Just get together. We pray together. We share our discouragements. We share our failings. We share our encouragements. And we pray for each other as brothers in Christ. Having that network of pastors is such an encouragement. And so it's good to be part of something bigger than ourselves. <laughs> something outside of our local church. And to be connected to the body of Christ across Canada and across the world. Because God's growing his kingdom everywhere, isn't he? In all sorts of places. And it can help us, as I was saying on Friday, to have perspective. God's not just working here. He's a global God. He's not just a local God. He's a global God. So that's been encouragement to us. Thirdly, it's been encouragement for us to step out in faith and see the Lord provide for us time and time and time and time again. And again, the Lord's been so kind to us. Sharon and Mez say that when they started 20 Schemes with Matthew in uh, America, they started with just uh, Sharon and Mez and Matthew, and that was it, and 500 pounds in the bank. That's all they had, 500 pounds. Uh, what's that in dollars? $1,500? $1,000? 1000 bucks? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And now in the Lord's goodness, we have a church five church plants, five planters in training. And it's not like we've had the money and then employed people. It's been the other way around. We've had the vision. We've employed people in faith and the Lord's just provided time and time and time and time again. If you wait for the money first, it won't come. <laughs> if you step out of faith, the Lord will always provide for the need that is there. There's no need. What's he going to provide for? When there's a need, the Lord always provides for our needs. And I know, I know there's going to be people in this church, because there's people in my church who will say, we can't do this mile one stuff. We are barely covering our bases now. We've just got a new building to move into. We've got to furnish it. We've got to put the electricity on. We've got to get the heating going in the winter, which is all year round apparently here, <laughs> apart from today. 
How are we going to plant churches? How are we going to support these other churches that we want to plant and, and, and their families and, and the things that are going on there? Members said exactly the same thing to Mez and, and Sharon. How are we going to support 20 schemes when we're such a tiny little church? All about the money. But here's the thing. The vision comes first. We get on our knees and the Lord provides. That's the, that's the way it goes in the Bible. Yeah, the vision first. We get on our knees, and the Lord will provide for his people. I can tell you story after story of God's last-minute provision. Uh, we had a couple who uh, we were sending out to go and help out in our church plant in Dundee. And the house had there'd been difficulties trying to get the house they wanted, and um, the mortgage hadn't come through. And the day that they were moving, the mortgage still hadn't come through. <laughs> and so they had packed up their old house, they had nowhere to go, and they got in the car, and it was as they were driving to Dundee, about halfway through, they got the phone call, your mortgage has been approved. <laughs> Three kids in the back, couple at the front, no house to go to, the mortgage hasn't come through, but as they're driving up the road, the mortgage comes through, and they can move in and get the keys that day. That's amazing, isn't it? Only last month, as a church, we were £12,000 behind budget. We went to our members' meeting. We were £1,000 down every month. Uh, we were forecasting the next year we're going to be £12,000 down. So we shared out the church. We said, we need, to, we need you guys to maybe up your giving a little bit, maybe pray. Well, we definitely pray. Um, and then a couple of days later, Mez got a phone call. And a pastor phoned and said, and he's from Wales, and he said, uh, we've got 12,000 to give. Can you, do you want it? <laughs> do you need it? He said, yeah, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> the exact amount we needed, the Lord provided the exact amount two days later. That guy in Wales didn't have a clue how much we needed, and yet the Lord in his goodness provided for us again and again and again. He provides. Do we believe that? We say we're Calvinists, don't we? We say that God is sovereign over all things and that he'll provide for his people. And yet when it comes to it, we're not. We're plastic Calvinists. We don't actually believe that he's sovereign. Because if we did, we would do the nutsiest things in the world. We would take more risks than we do. Knowing that the Lord always provides and is in control of all things. Fourthly, uh, it's been an encouragement for us as a church to be able to train men and women from across, again, the world, and, uh, nationally and also internationally. Um, we have a vision, and same with you guys, and you see that already with the team you, you guys are building, uh, and people are attracted to that. And it's amazing, I think, and it's biblical, I think, the way that you guys are doing it and the way that we do it, that we do not send our best people away to seminary, but we train them in-house and then send them out. It's one of the things that we really believe at 20 Schemes. Yes, seminaries can be good, but I don't think it's the biblical model. Biblical model is in-house training in the local church, attached to God's people, and then we send people out. Because we're better to learn how to deal with people and to learn the difficulties of ministry than being in the ministry. No point being locked up in a room hearing lectures about it. You need to experience it. You need to feel it. You need to go through it. And so training people on the ground, in-house, 
is an amazing way to do training and a real blessing as well. It means we give ordinary people the chance to understand the Bible and how it applies to people's lives. And finally, before we get to the challenges, national ministry from a small church means that God gets all the glory. National ministry from a small church means that God gets all the glory. When we have a vision that is way bigger than ourselves and God comes through for us, we can say 100% it was nothing to do with us. It was all to do with the Lord. And so he gets the glory. We are constantly praising God at Nidri because he provides for us again and again, because he does things that are just wilder than we can ever ask or imagine, and he gets the glory. Because it's nothing to do with us. Again, I can tell you we are a crappy church. We are a tiny little church, insignificant in the world, and yet the Lord has been so good to us. Think about many missionaries in the, in the past who've done big and crazy things. I think of William Carey. Uh, he was a missionary to, to, to India. And everyone said to William Carey, don't do it. Don't go. Stay here. The church is like, why are you going over there to that place? We need the gospel here. Don't go away to India. Stop being so gospel-minded. And then he got over there, and it was discouraging for the man. If you read his diaries and read his biographies, his wife had a mental breakdown on the mission field. He didn't see anyone converted for seven years. He lost children over there. He was lonely. And yet, he stayed faithful to the Lord, kept sharing the gospel. And after seven years, he had his first convert, and the rest is history as many other people were converted and churches were planted across India. Here's the thing. The Lord uses people who step out in faith for his glory. Not the mega church, the tiny church. Not the supernatural pastors, but ordinary men and women who want to give their all for Christ. I mean, think about the first 12 disciples. They were idiots. They didn't understand who Jesus was, why he had come, and they failed him again and again. They were fishermen. And yet the Lord used them, didn't he? Used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Used a foolish church in Canada to shame the wise so that God might get the glory. That's some of the encouragement. Let me give you some of the challenges that we've had along the way. It's not been plain sailing. It's not been easy. It still not is. As I said on Friday night, I was speaking to others. We have pastoral problem after pastoral problem and many issues and difficulties and converts coming in uh, and going out. Uh, men and women struggling in, in the ministries. Not all a bed of roses. Many struggles in the background. But here's some of the challenges we've, we've faced along the way. The first one is Mez himself. <laughs> Mez is a challenge, and he would admit that himself. <laughs> Steve is a challenge. I spent a weekend with him. And here's the thing. In a team and in a church, you can't have all Mezes. You can't have all Steves. And I'll tell you why. Because they will either kill each other or kill you 
or the church will be crushed. That's one of the things that we've worked very hard at is having a team. A team is so important uh, for the running of a ministry and the running of a church and the running of a national ministry. So it's an encouragement to meet the elders here. And if you met our elders, we're very different people in our eldership. Um, very, very different personalities, very different backgrounds, but that is important. Not everyone's jump off the deep end like Mez. Others are more logical. <laughs> Let's think through this, Mez. Let's think through how we can uh, do this together. We've uh, worked hard, and Sharon as well, at getting administrators in. You need pastoral people. You need different personalities. And that's going to be important in a church and in a national ministry where one voice is prone to dominate. Where you've got a big personality in the church. And it's also so important because a combination of the local church, the team, accountability and eldership keeps everyone's feet on the ground. Keeps everyone focused and humbled. You've seen it time and again, haven't you? A celebrity pastor getting a ministry, getting too big for his boots. And what happens is they fall into grievous sin. And so it's going to be important as a church that you keep mile one mission on the ground, Steve as well, and keep him accountable uh, in the same way that we do mess. And so a team is important. Here's the second thing, and you probably are experiencing this already. Not everyone in this church will be sold on the vision. Not everyone in this church will like the idea of a national ministry. I know Mez particularly got lots of stick from church members early on. They said, we're Nidri Community Church. We're focusing on Nidri. We're not focusing on Scotland. What about us? What about our needs? What about our wants? How are you going to pastor us? How are you going to look after us here at Nidri? And some of these were genuine concerns, ones that we had to talk through and walk through. Some was a lack of faith, definitely. Some was fear, the unknown, and fear of change. Some was from bitterness, because they were never happy in the first place, and just the newest ministry is the thing that's going to get it. And you get those in churches. And here's the thing, like I said, when anything changes, people get a bit anxious, don't they? And they get on the back foot, and they get a bit defensive. As I said, change is a good thing. Change is not always a bad thing. Change can be a good thing. Change helps us to rely on the Lord and not get too comfortable. What we found at Nidri is that over time, as people saw the vision and saw the Lord provide, those who were complaining before became the greatest supporters of the ministry. It took time, but as they saw the Lord provide and his work go on, people began to get behind the ministry. And the 1% who didn't like the ministry and weren't mature in the first place, they left and went to other churches to go and bug that pastor instead. But not everyone's going to like it. And there's going to be things that you need to talk through as a church and with Steve and, and with the elders. Third, it, it's meant at Nidri that we've taken a hit in terms of ministry capacity. We've taken a hit in terms of ministry capacity. So um, most of our 20 schemes, admin staff and directors and uh, the women's workers as well, the main uh, one being Sharon and, and Miriam, main people being Sharon and Miriam, are members of our church. They're members of our church. And so focusing on a national ministry has meant their focus has gone from local ministry more to national ministry. 
And so that's been hard for them on the ground level. It's been hard for our church at different times. Because um, it's meant that very skilled individuals like Sharon, Miriam, Mez, who were very involved in the first 10 years of our church, involved in the community, involved with the evangelism, involved with the discipleship, are no longer as involved in the ground level anymore. Um, as Sharon says very wisely, they're having to take a hit now for the next generation. Because they're now in a training capacity. So um, Sharon heads up the women's ministry and she's doing lots of stuff with uh, women all across Scotland, all across the world. Mez again is involved with training the planters. And so he doesn't have as much local access and as a local time that he had before. What they're doing is they're training in these men and women so they can go and plant churches and so that more people are reached. One of the things that Mez has done very skillfully and Sharon as well, and one of the things that we've put a lot of emphasis on is train the next generation. And so Mez trained me up. And so while Mez has been doing 20 schemes, I've been doing a lot of stuff on a local level. And Sharon has been investing in other ladies in the church. And so it's going to be important for Steve and for the elders and for you as a church to think through what's the next generation. If you guys are going to do a national ministry, who's focusing here locally? Because you need people to focus locally as well as internationally and nationally as well. And so you have to focus on that and think through that. It's going to be growing pains. You're going to make mistakes along the way like we have. And there will be struggles in that. Finally, I think it's the biggest structure, uh, sorry, the biggest problem we've had is just setting up the infrastructure. Again, I've not been involved with that, so you need to pick Sharon's brains more on this because she's been there from the beginning of 20 Schemes with Mez. Uh, one of the things that 20 Schemes were keen on, I think you guys are as well, is to keep the ministry of, uh, of 20 Schemes local. And what I mean that by that is that the ministry of 20 Schemes is not a parachurch organization, but a ministry of our church. We're very, very big on that. Um, and so the question that we were faced with to begin with is, how do you set up an organizational movement within a local church setting? How do you set up the infrastructure of a national ministry or an international ministry within the framework of a local church? And so they'll tell you stories that's very cumbersome at points. Um, it's been slow at times just because everything that we decide through 20 schemes is, goes through the elders. Goes for the elders who are also the directors of, of, of 20 schemes as well. And so it's been a slow plod getting the national ministry up and running so that it's within the local structure and so that members are on board. There's no point in setting up a ministry if you guys aren't on board with it. You guys need to be behind it. You need to own it. It needs to be yours. You need to pray for it. You need to give to it. Because if it isn't, then it's not going to be the ministry the Lord has called you to. Let me end with this. People are going to hell, aren't they? Do we believe that? People are going to hell. And we need to do something about that. There are thousands of people on this island who all they have access to is uh, a liberal church or a Roman Catholic church. It's not a church at all, in my opinion. And God's means to reach the world is to plant and revitalize gospel churches in local areas. And therefore, if people are going to hell, 
And God means is to set up gospel churches with gospel-centered leaders. Then we've got to do something about it and send men and women out to plant churches. The area of Newfoundland is not going to be transformed by you sitting in your building and just worrying about your local area. It's going to be transformed as churches are planted across this land. And here's the thing. You can pray for other people to do it. They're not coming. You guys are it. You guys are it. You're the gospel church. You've got the vision. You're it. If you guys don't do it, is anyone else going to do it in your area? Or in your country? Or in your community? Mez often talks about the conversation he had with two of our planters in Glasgow. And they were part of the Church of Scotland. The Church of Scotland is very liberal. They weren't preaching the gospel anymore. And they were saying to Mez, oh, we're, we're praying for workers to come and, uh, and to plant a church. And Mez said to them, no one's coming. You guys are it. You guys are the ones who need to plant the church. And that's the same here, I think. You guys are it. If you don't do it, who else is going to do it? So you're going to have to have some gutsy, risky, stepping out in, f- in faith to see this nation one and see gospel churches planted. Jesus says the field is ripe. It's ripe. Ripe for the harvest. Do you believe that? Let's go out there, preach the gospel, plant churches for his glory. And not just have a local ministry, but sometimes we are called in God's grace to have a national ministry as well. Let me just pray. Do you want me to take questions now or just save it for the fireside? Okay. Father God, if we were those disciples 2,000 years ago, standing before a mighty Roman Empire, and you said to us, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't know about these people here, but I would have been petrified. And yet in your grace, you filled them with the Spirit. They went out, obedient to your calling, And you've been working ever since across the world. I pray for this church here. I thank you for them. Thank you for saving the individuals in this room. Thank you for their fellowship. The love they so apparently have for each other. And we thank you for Steve as well and his leadership here. And the elders. I just pray for them, Lord, in the years ahead that you might give them wisdom as they decide the future, as they're thinking about buildings and church planting. I pray, Lord, that they will be united together behind the vision that you've given them and that you would give them, by your Spirit, gutsy faith to step out and trust in you and you alone. And I pray, Lord, in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, however long it takes, 
that this island would see churches planted and men and women snatched from the gates of hell as they put their hope and trust in Christ. Already send your spirit, send your spirit to this church, send your spirit to this nation. Prepare hearts, prepare planters, provide everything they need and be with them along the way as you have promised to be. In Jesus' name, amen.